This is Kevin Evans in the chapter by chapter life class for Crossroads Assembly of God. It is the Sunday before Christmas and we in a very non-Christmas tradition are finishing up Mark uh, and we're going to knock out chapter 16 which will be the last chapter in Mark today. Uh, kind of a short one. So last week we discussed uh, the burial of Jesus starting at verse 42 in chapter 15. And uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who we know was part of the Sanhedrin, uh, offered up his brand new tomb for Christ, made a point of claiming Christ's body before the Sabbath. He had three hours to make that happen. He got permission and then pulled the body down and buried it. Now, probably this tomb, if it's typical of other tombs, is a family tomb. You didn't just put one person in a tomb. And what would typically happen is you put the deceased on a big slab that's kind of in the front room. And then when the next funeral comes along, you'll come in and that body will be decomposed. And what they would do is before they bury the second person, they would move that body into what's called an ostiary. I think that's how it's pronounced. Basically a little box. It's a little coffin that looks a little bit bigger than a bread box. And they put all of the bones in, uh, in there. And then that would be stored in the back portion of the tomb. So over the years, there would be multiple boxes of uh, remains of, old, uh, of older burials, and then the new burials would be in the front. So when Joseph Farimathea had this new family grave dug for his family, you know, it said it's his tomb, uh, he just chooses to have Jesus buried in that, which makes me think that Jesus is family, which has goes to, there is a, there is a general non-scriptural, belief that uh, Joseph of Arimathea was Jesus's uncle. He was Mary's uncle. And so uh, that would explain why he would want to pull a criminal off, the, off a cross and bury it in his own family tomb. And he's not really giving up his tomb, by the way. He's using his tomb for its purpose, which is bury family members, you know. So it's not like he's really giving up anything by making this happen. It just happened to be a fresh new tomb because it fulfilled scriptural uh, prophecies. Okay, having said all of that, uh, also uh, we know that w w w it's been implied that he was uh, part of the Sanhedrin and he had some political clout because he managed to get to the Roman government in three hours and get permission to pull this body off the cross just like that, and which means that he got in and talked to the right person without anybody giving him any grief and, 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 and got what he wanted and they sent him on his way. He had a little bit of respect among the Romans. So, so that, that kind of supports our guesses about Joseph of Arimathea. Well, there's not another reference to him in scripture other than this one thing. But, but even if he's not any of those things and he's just a kind old rabbi, it, I don't think it changes the picture any, you know. Anyway, uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus is put in Joseph's uh, tomb and he is wrapped in linen 
and the stone is put in place and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus saw where he was laid. They were there when they buried him and these are the same women that gathered at the crucifixion. So they have followed from the crucifixion to the tomb which had to be fairly close and, and saw him sealed up. So they know where the body is and that is where we ended last week. Most people think that the tomb is fairly close to it. Um, there are at least two places in Jerusalem right now where they think that the tomb was. Uh, there, are, there's also a couple of conjectures on where the cross was. Although you know, and there are churches built on top of all of those, so uh, it's really kind of hard to verify. In fact, it's impossible to verify. Uh, but again. That's one of those details that doesn't really change the picture any, you know, as far as Christ's sacrifice for us. I would love to have all the minute details in this story, but it doesn't change the story if any of those are different. In any case, Mark finally finishes his story because now we have the death of Jesus, and this is the whole point. This chapter, everything, all of this is to build up to this chapter 16. And uh, there are two parts to chapter 16. And I'm going to read the first part, and then I'll explain what's going on in the second part. And the, so the first part is, is verses 1 through 8. Uh, when the Sabbath was over, and this is in the NIV, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, in the... yeah. Oh, right here, evidence for the resurrection. Oh, right. Yeah. So these are all of the references of Jesus appearing afterwards, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. In the old... I was getting ahead of you. Y- you are. <laughs> That's what all my students do. Smart students are always two oh. steps ahead of the professor. Oh. That's true. Um, so in the old manuscripts, the oldest ones that we can verify where the manuscript came from in Mark, where it's written in an original hand, uh, we, we don't have Mark's actual handwriting. What would happen was that he wrote a book, then somebody would copy that and send it to another church, and then somebody would copy that and send that to another church. They didn't have printing presses, but they made copies of these letters that came from the apostles, and this was kind of a big book, and so lots of people had this version. Well, the ones that we can date to be the oldest stop right here at verse 8. Okay? Now, 
let's look at that and then let's look at the the extra half of the chapter which i kind of call the addendum and, and and look at what mark is saying here basically he's saying christ rose he died and then he stopped being dead he came back again he came back to life and a man showed up in the tomb and said yeah he's uh, gone to go meet the apostles and that's where mark finishes because mark is transcribing basically the story of each of the apostles and the apostles i assume are talking to him around the campfire and he's writing down notes and he's getting all the facts straight and in some kind of chronological order that's what he's going for here right okay nobody knew that jesus was rock the third day well he's told him that in a dozen different ways and they know that that there would be I, I, I think they, yeah, I think there's one thing kind of knowing something in a broad philosophical sense and another thing seeing it straight on, you know. Uh, I mean, I genuinely believe there are angels and demons, but if one of them shows up in my living room, I'm going to have a hard time processing that because I watch a whole lot of sci-fi and I have cantankerous relatives and somebody's dressing up pulling something over my eyes i'm not going to believe it until i get zapped you know um that's kind of where they are i think you know because it's a very different experiencing something rather than just understanding something uh so so here we are it's the sabbath that means that he has the new week has begun oh when the sabbath was over which is this saturday so this is sunday morning now, he was crucified on Friday afternoon, so he has been in the tomb basically, uh, well, they call it three days because they count Friday because he got in in the last two hours of Friday. And then he was in the ground during the Sabbath, and then the next morning he comes up. So they, it's three days, but it's 28 hours? You know, it's you don't think of it as three. You think of it as three full days, but really, it's just on the third day, which means that he was in the ground a little more than a day, or, or in the in the tomb a little more than a day. Uh, so it's. What an interesting question. Um. My understanding, or at least a big theological understanding, is that he went to hell. And then came back. He, he had things to do spiritually during that time period. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't know where that comes from, actually. I didn't study that. I'm, is, is that scriptural? Or it may be inferred from, from Revelation or something, yeah. Okay, anyway, uh, he's, he's, he's in the ground. for He rises on the third day. Now, this is, this is the morning after the Sabbath, so they are allowed to actually work on this day, which is why they want to anoint the body. They didn't have a chance to, I guess, before it was buried. They needed to get it in the ground, and they didn't have time. They were rushed. So these women are hoping that they can come anoint this body a day later, 
and I'm sure it's starting to get a little ripe at this point, but, you know, it's only a day at this point, so we're probably okay. And they're hoping that they can anoint it and get everything proper. Uh, so they're showing up in the cemetery with all of the spices and myrrh and, and whatnot that they use, but they're not sure that they don't have anybody that can push that stone back. And they're a little concerned about that. They're hoping to figure that out along the way, which it kind of works out on its own. Uh, they can, or it can be a big stack of rocks. It kind of depends on your grave. But in this case, it was one big rock, and, and they weren't sure how to do it. Yeah. Well, they get there, and it's open. And Mark says a man dressed in white is in the tomb sitting on the edge of the stone table where the body would have been laid. And he says, he's not here. He's on his way to Galilee. Go tell Peter and the others to gather with their master, you know, because he's back. Uh, Matthew describes him as an angel. In fact, he describes a couple of angels. It wasn't just one. So Mark is streamlining his story a little bit. So this is, this is, this is, uh, so the Mark describes him as a young man. Now that tells us that angels appear as people, right? Yes. Uh, because in Revelation, when you look at the description of a seraphim, and I think there are different kinds of angels, it's pretty sci-fi channel horrific, you know? Uh, they're, they're these huge uh, uh, beings, and they have multiple wings, or six different, six different wings, and one covers the head, one covers the middle, one covers the feet, and then they have hundreds of eyes all over them. I mean, it's... You know, and it's kind of symbolic as to what they do. They can travel and they observe, you know, they're, they're, they're God's hands, you know, I, I guess. God can do anything he wants. But, uh, that, you know, that, that's very different than what this is. And when you see Gabriel appearing to the, uh, the, the, the shepherds or anywhere, when Gabriel shows up, the first thing he says is, fear not. Because evidently he's scary, you know. Uh, I don't know if he's 10 feet tall and glowy like he's generally depicted in art or if he's just a really scary looking guy. I don't, I, I don't know. But uh, there's something fierce about Gabriel, you know, the messenger. He's the one that does all the talking is the scary one, you know. Imagine what the rest of them look like. You know, you usually send your face man forward to talk to the public, right? Well... You know, he has to begin every conversation with fear not. Well, this one doesn't. This one is just a guy dressed in white sitting on a table, and he says, he's not here. Go that way. That's, that's all he said. This isn't Gabriel. This is a lesser angel. It, this, is, this is one of their guards. This is a, a henchman angel that they sent to take care of this little chore. I, I'm guessing, you know, uh, and I think that's interesting that he appears as a boy or man, young man. Oh, wait, he does begin with don't be alarmed, didn't he? Yeah, so maybe he is scary. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. 
This is the most significant passage in the entire book right here. Jesus is risen. That's the point of Mark's book. Mark wrote all of this to get to this line, you know, and this is what the guy said to the best of Mark's ability. Trembling and bewildered, the women ran away. That's, that's, that's the end of the story. Now, these churches are writing down Mark's book and copying it. And suddenly, several years after the original books went out, this extra tack-on starts appearing at the end of Mark's book. And we have verses 9 through 20. And verses 9 through 20 from the first century are recognized as being part of Mark. Uh, you know, there's several times the church has kind of gone through and looked at the scripture and said, you know, this is divinely inspired and this isn't. And uh, in, the, in the Catholic Bible, there are some extra books that we don't have in this one. And um, they're called the Maccabees. There's some Bibles that have those set aside, you know, just for your reference. Historically, they're historical literature, but, they, but for various reasons, the church has rejected them as being the inspired word of God. Uh, they may be good histories. They may give you an idea of something that happened then, and I think they're worthy of study. But you can't necessarily accept them in blind faith that they're the divine word of God. This was, though. This stays, this little addendum. Now, why would some of the early versions of the manuscript not have it? Can you think of a reason? Yeah. Uh, one thing I had read about that before is the reason that seven cards is so many years after it happened. Uh, it was written five, six years, a couple of years later. Yes. And that's why they don't sell it. That's why. That's why it what? That's why they don't. We they don't accept it because it was written several years later. Well, why would they write an extra thing several years later? I don't know. I just don't want to read it. I don't know. We need to get a reason. <laughs> well, an atheist interpretation of this would be that uh, a bunch of guys that didn't see anything got together to create their own religion and so they cranked out all of these books and adjusted them or they took somebody else's books and rewrote them so that it would create this massive faith that they can milk the public for their tithes with. That's a long way to go for tithes. Uh, I think this happened, and this is the gospel according to Kevin, and take it for what it's worth. Uh, Mark went on to be a, an apostle, basically. Well, a disciple. He met Christ at one point, because we believe that he's the one that ran away naked in, in, in his book. And so he, he had his own personal connection to Christ, and he was a disciple of Peter for years and traveled with him and preached. And then after Peter's demise, we won't go into the details, uh, Mark continued his ministry. 
And so Mark is an old preacher from the beginning. And what do you think Mark is preaching? Right? He wrote this book. He wrote the gospel that they're reading in their church. And now the guy that wrote the gospel is showing up to talk. What do you think he's going to talk about? He's going to talk about the gospel. He's going to witness to this story that he saw part of and got the good story from all the guys that were there. You know, that's his whole mission in life is to spread this word. Now, what's the point of all this? Jesus Christ died and arose in order to sacrifice for our sins so that he could pave the way for we humans to stand in the faith in the presence of God, uh, covering over all of our sins and allowing us communion with the Almighty. It's kind of an important significance. Does that really come out in this book? Not really. This is a bunch of fact a bunch of the facts. And also you know, things happened immediately after this that are kind of important. So, yeah, he, uh, the angel said, okay, go that way. But what happened then? We have, we have an appearance by Jesus with the two guys on the road to uh, what, the Damascus that you just showed me. Uh, we have the appearance to uh, Peter. We have the appearance to, to, all, to 500 people a little bit later on. And Jesus preached to 500 people after his crucifixion. And they, they, they knew he was crucified. And, you know, this was a big deal. And, 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 and people are going, oh, wait, the dead guy rose. Oh, please, are you serious? That's what they're saying when they're listening to Mark give this story. Well, what does Mark have to back it up with? Well, yeah, but I saw this. I, 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 I know him, and Peter saw him, and Peter was my boss, and, and this guy saw him, and those 500 people saw him, and that guy saw him, and those two dudes saw him. Well, those are the witnesses that substantiate this gospel. And so what I think happened is that Mark went to the church of wherever, and they had a copy of his letter, uh, his gospel, and he preached. And then he said, oh yeah, all of these things happened. And so he wrote it down. This is still Mark, but I think this is an add-on, an adjustment to his edition to fill in the story. And it kind of changes voice a little bit. It's like he's filling in a little bit of history so that we all know that this is true. And I think that as they continue to make copies, they added this in, and I think it's still Mark. I think if it wasn't Mark, then the early church would have rejected it. You know? Uh, so, but it, it's still the early gospel accepted by the early church under the name of Mark. They took, you know, the authenticity of what they discussed and the truth of what they discussed very seriously. And... Uh, and this stood the test of time. And so that's what I think happens here. But because of the break in the documents, because there are some documents that have this and some don't, I think that that's the answer. I think this was written later. By Mark. Okay, so here is Old Man Mark's addendum to his gospel. Verses 9 through 20. When Jesus, 
rose early on the first day of uh, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. She's the first one that saw him. It's basically a list of witnesses to back up what he just said. <coughs> out of whom he had driven seven demons. He drove seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Wow, now, that I did not know. Well, now you do. There it is in black and white. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that he had seen him, they did not believe it because they saw him buried. Ah, oh, come on. The crazy lady with the demons from before is telling you this story. We never quite took her seriously anyway, right? We have crazy ladies in this church, don't we? Hmm. Okay, never mind. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them, in a different form, to two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. So three people have reported seeing Jesus. Yep, yep, yep. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. So the disciples are having dinner and bang, Jesus appears in the room. He rebuked them for their lack of faith. Man, they've gotten that a lot. And their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he, had taken up, he was taken up into heaven. And he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word to the signs that he accompanied it. Oh my word, it seems like there are six chapters of material in that three little paragraph. John really needs to work on his detail. He does. He really does. And his pacing. Pacing is very important. And, you know, he needs to background information. Foreshadowing. That would be good. That would be good. If only. No, um, he... He, you know, he, he kind of made, he appears to one person, he appears to two people, then he appears to the 11, and then he ascends. Those are the four events that Mark specifically records here, which verifies his book. Now, January is going to be all about Matthew. Matthew, who was an apostle and was there for a lot more of this than Mark was, certainly read Mark's book. Now, Matthew was there, and we have the little upstart who wasn't there writing the book. What do you think Matthew's thinking while he's writing the book? Well, yeah, yeah. sure. Well, yeah, that's true, but this happened too. Yeah, but that, but all the way, you got that, uh, you know, that happened before this. No, no, hold on now, hold on now. Okay, this year I wrote a family history, and I called my mother, who knew several of the people that I was writing the story about, and I had her proof the document. 
Oh, what an ordeal that was. Oh my goodness, yes. She wrote all over it. She just made it bleed. She's a teacher. She knows how, you know? And so, uh, yeah, well, what about this story? What about that story? And then, and then and, you know, and, and mom has stories that I would never put in the book, and she breaks into that stuff and starts crying <laughs> about, you know, all the bad things that happened and so forth, you know. Uh, she was there, and she has the right to do that because I'm trying to capture the truth of it all, and, and, and she's got it. Well, Matthew's going to have that same kind of response. And he's going to say, yeah, but you, you didn't quite capture this. You, this happened, but you don't understand why. And, and, and let's back this up. You know, you, you're missing this old part over here, which makes this other part significant. You know, Mark is, Mark's book, let's admit it, is a little thin. You know, it, it, we, we need some details. We've been talking about, oh, well, let's look in this novel. I mean, look in this gospel and see this thing that Mark left out. That happens a lot as we study this, right? Well, that's when Matthew steps in, and he basically one-ups Mark. He tells, he writes a gospel with more detail for the Jewish community so that they understand the significance of what happened to the Jews, so that he, how he fits in at, with prophecy. And then Luke comes in, who is a disciple of Paul. He's even later. But Luke is a medical doctor and is really fascinated by detail. I love Luke because I'm that kind of guy. Luke, you know, Mark says he took fish and bread. Luke says he took five fish and two loaves of bread. The numbers are important to Luke. You know, he wants to measure everything, which is, that's nice. I like the fact that there are measurements to everything. <laughs> Uh, and so Luke gives us the, the doctor's report on the gospel, which we're going to look at after that. And then we have the fourth gospel, which is very different. And it's, it's, it's John at the end of his life, after all these other gospels are written, and probably another 30 years after that. And he, he basically takes all of his sermons that he's been practicing for his whole life and he documents them down into one big book and he turns his sermons into a book. So John doesn't really give us a chronological depiction of, of Christ's life. Mark and Matthew and Luke do that really well. He has nothing to add there. Mark gets all poetic. He gets preachy. He, he really pounds in the significance of Christ. And, and he takes all of these facts that Mark and Matthew and Luke have laid down and he applies them. And that's how these four Gospels go together. They actually augment each other really, really, really well. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of Mark. Did I miss something? All right. Uh, it is Christmas. Uh, I think we are going to meet next Sunday, right? Which is the day after Christmas. And we are going to start on Matthew chapter 1. So if you want to read ahead, feel free. Okay. Are you going, are you going in chronological order? Or just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going by order of the books in the Bible. I'm going by chronological order. I think it works better that way. Yeah. Particularly from an from an analysis point of view, which is what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. 
So it'll be Matthew and then Mark and then uh, sometime in late 2022, <laughs> we might finish John. So yeah, it's going to take us a while. I'm, I haven't counted the chapters, but it's, 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 it's going to be a haul. should be a fun one, though. Okay, having said that, I am signing off a little bit early.